0: On this week's podcast for the Ohio Sports Blog, we'll be uh, looking at the Indians' first half accomplishments, uh, some first half MVPs, some first half awards, uh, the six All-Stars that the Indians do, do have playing in the game Tuesday. Um, then we'll, we'll roll into some Ohio State basketball and their big um, signing this week of the five-star point guard. And finally, we'll finish up with some uh, great memories from some great games that we've attended in the past what's up brother what's happening tonight um let's talk some indians in the first half of the indians what do you think so far
1: well i tell you what this was a good first into the first half today we fought hard took two games out of four was not expecting us to do that i actually had a bet out with somebody that uh I bet that if the I bet twenty dollars on the Indians to win win the series, and uh, if the uh, if the series is tied, then the bet wouldn't go through. So I don't even I don't get any money, and I don't have to give away any money. So I guess I'm a little bit happy. I was pretty impressed with the uh, late inning offense today. Um, we came through. It's just too bad that we couldn't come through for Trevor Bauer who gets stuck with his second straight, no decision.
0: Oh, that guy's had some tough luck. The, on um the one game the the Reds, he went seven innings on Tuesday. Seven innings left the game or eight innings, my fault. Left the game in eighth in or after the eighth inning. Uh they're up four nothing. The guy was cruising. Yep. Um they brought in yep. brought in Cody Allen, he couldn't shut the door, they ended up getting beat seven four. And today, yep. today, he struggled a little bit early. Um, they're down 2 nothing. Then they came back. Edwin hit the big two-run homer. But he went seven innings again today. He battled. He grinded it out. Um, left tied 2-2. Yep. Um, poor guy didn't get it. He should have 10 wins um, right now. Um, easily. Yes.
1: Easily 10 wins. And as speaking of Edwin, you saw he got hit by a pitch today. Yeah. And he looked like he was in a lot of pain. Which that could be a big blow with our offense already struggling, but I think we've started to put a few things together, and I think we're going to get on that second half roll that we always get on.
0: Yeah, last reports of Edwin was that he was fine. Um, He was sore, had a lot of pain, but he nothing no no structural damage. This week off will be uh, be good, be welcome for him to get that hand back in order and uh, so he can continue to roll in the second half. Um,
1: yeah, the good thing is though is it happened right at the break. So even if it was something a little more serious, he'd have some more days to get it healed up before the second half kicked off.
0: Yes, yeah, this this break is. But I'm sure this break for a lot of guys after 80 some games is a welcome welcome uh, to come to them. So they take a few days off and get back rolling on uh, on Thursday. I believe they they played Texas. Right now we're seven yep. we're seven and a half games up. We're fifty-two and forty-three. Um, I mean, in my opinion, unless I mean something drastic would have to be to go on for the He is not to win this uh, division, but division is pretty much in hand with the seven and a half game lead. They're the biggest lead in the AL over anybody. Um, I I mean they have to. They're going to get Andrew Miller back eventually for the bullpen. Um, he brought. I did like Tito brought Cookie uh, uh, Carrasco in the eighth inning today. Um, oh, I I saw that, and I was I was
1: a little amazed by that actually.
0: Yeah, I I figured. I mean, he had to figure. You know, Cookie won't pitch again till next week at the earliest. Um, late next week, so he probably got. Why not use him? Why not bring him in? He got his little. Probably had a bullpen session today. He was supposed to throw anyway, so brought him in and um, shut him down for the eighth inning. And then Michael Brantley came through with a big home run. And I'll tell you what, in my opinion, I was at the game today. Um, so, I, it was fun watching it. I mean, the crowd was into it. Packed house. I bet. Packed house. It was great. Great weather. But um, Michael Brantley hit the home run. But then the next batter, uh, Ramirez comes back and gets another single. Steals second. Through the through the shift at that. yeah, He got a, a single through the shift. Yeah. Well, Ramirez is unbelievable. Um, but he steals second. Over past. pass. Then the shortstop doesn't catch. The ball goes center field. Goes to third base. I mean, this guy – this guy's just I mean, he's unbelievable for an all star in the MVP conversation. You know, the eighty second game of the first half. This guy's hustling everywhere, diving everywhere. Then um I wanna say it was no it was John Gomes hits a short fly ball to right field, and the guy gets a great throw. Ramirez with a great head first slide in to put us up four to two. I mean In my opinion, Jose Ramirez is our offense. The Indians definitely the Indians' offensive MVP for the first half, but he should be in the conversation in the top three players offensively MVP wise in the whole American League. Oh, without a doubt. I mean,
1: I you know, I mean, when we're picking like MVPs for the first half, I mean, if we're just if we're just picking for the Indians, Jose Ramirez is without a doubt. The, the team's MVP. He's already got 29 home runs. I mean, he could legitimately hit 50 home runs. And I was listening to the broadcast briefly on SiriusXM and I heard Tom Hamilton say something interesting. Interesting. He's the first Indian since Grady Sizemore to have 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases in a season. Imagine that. And that's that was 10 years ago, mind you. Can you can you believe that? That's a short 10 years. And um, this 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 kid has grown up before our eyes. He signed for nothing on the dollar to come to the team, and he has become easily our best hitter. And honestly, if he is not in the discussion for league MVP by the end of this year, if he stays on this pace, then that award is a sham because there's no way you can say MVP without Jose Ramirez.
0: Yeah, I fully expect him to finish probably in the top – definitely in the top 5 probably in the top 3 for um for MVP voting. Uh it looks like right now it looks like Mike Trout Well, if he continues on this on this pace he's just going to run away with that award. But it, but I if mean, there is anybody who
1: could beat him it's it's Mike Trout because he is on a tour pace himself. But the the only thing working against Mike Trout is the Angels are shuffling right now. Yes, yes.
0: Um yeah, I mean Jose Ramirez is without a doubt the best bargain in baseball. I mean the guy only makes and I say only, but he only makes a little over five million dollars a year. Four and years twenty five million contract extension, I believe. Five years yeah, five years twenty six. But and Okay. With, and and team options for twenty two and twenty three. So I mean we got him locked up. Um and the deal has a maximum value of fifty million. But so we have this guy locked up, you know, five years down the road. I mean he's He's a youngster, and he's he's just coming into his prime now. So we're in a good we're in a good good spot with um with old Jose's contract.
1: Yeah, you know what? If we could just get Frankie locked up, man, we would have our in, most of our infield set. And Frankie's going to be high dollar demand though, with the, as much as he's produced. And you could honestly say that he's been as much as an MVP for this team because it honestly seems like. As Frankie goes, Jose goes even further. I mean, Frankie hits a double, then Jose comes up and hits a, a home run. Frankie hits a single, Jose comes up and doubles. I mean, the the two are two of a kind. And honestly, you could make a case for uh, moving Jose to second with Kitness' struggles, but the problem is, is we don't have anybody to replace him at third base. And he's a gold glover at third base. So how do you justify that anyways?
0: For sure, I, I 100% agree. Yeah, I mean, Frankie, we're gonna have to. He's gonna demand Altuve type numbers, ten years, three hundred million. Um, I mean, that's the type of thing he's gonna he's gonna command. But I mean, you know, then and then again, he's twenty four years old. So in my mind, giving him a ten year contract would not bother me in the least. Then you're gonna lock up your left side of the infield with two hall. I mean, potential Hall of Famers, um, definitely All Stars every year. Um, on the left side of your infield infield batting first and third. I mean, that's just going to catapult the team, and we can build around that for years to come. Yeah, and that's if we
1: can get him re-signed. I mean, honestly, right now, I I say appreciate Frankie why we got him because, you know, it's hard to tell if the Dolans are going to be able to put up the money to re-sign him because, you know, they're not huge spenders. I mean, we're at our highest payroll that we've ever been at that I think since under their ownership at – $129 129 million. Mm-hmm. So to re- re-sign Frankie to a contract extension would ma- they'd massively have to increase their payroll, and I I don't know if they're going to do that in the future. But right now, I just say appreciate him while we got him because we got him at a bargain.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. He's uh he's he's special. He's really special. And um and that you know it's going to come down to well are they willing to spend any money on him? And I mean spend a whole lot of money on him. So. Well, yeah, I'm with you. Appreciate it one you got him, and we got a we got a good young core of this team. Um, and hey, I'm going to bring up another guy right now. I am so happy Yon Domes got picked to replace uh, the guy who got injured from the Rays. He there's w- one- Wilson Ramos. That's it, Wilson Ramos. But there's a guy who definitely deserves to be playing on Tuesday. Oh, he should have
1: he should have been in in the first place. And you know what? I think the the only reason he didn't get in was because Salvador Perez had to go in for the Royals. And I think I remember I said on a previous podcast, well, who else could have gone in for the Royals? I mean, honestly, you could have made a case for Mike Mustakas. Why not put Mike Mustakas in and then just put as your mandatory Royal and then put Jan in in the first place? He shouldn't, he shouldn't have had to be been an injury replacement in the first place, but I'm so happy for him. And here's a, here's a little warning to those uh, guys at the All-Star game. Don't run on Jan because he's going to throw you out.
0: Oh, for yeah, for sure. I mean, these guys—the two guys—we're we're set at catcher too, because the two guys we have, and even though Roberto Perez is struggling at the plate right now, but defensively, those two are two of the top defensive catchers in the league, and I don't know that anybody's better than either one of them. Because I mean, absolutely. And they they call pitches, they run, they handle a great pitching staff. Um, yes, with two all stars on it and themselves. Um, I mean, it's just it's fantastic I mean, that Jan was able to you know, bring his offensive production up to be able to get recognized as an all-star. I, you know, here's the funny thing with Jan.
1: Everybody kept getting down on him, but I always knew he had it because I hearkened back to that. Fir- you remember that first year that we acquired him and he went off that year. I think he hit like 21 home runs. He drove in 70-something 70, 70 runs and he batted – somewhere in the two seventy two eighty 280 range. He won a silver slugger at the catcher. You don't do that in the career – in you don't do that in your career if you don't have something in your bat. I always believed that Jan could come back, and I always, I fully expected him to make a comeback coming this season. And I I still think there's more to come with Jan because I think he's just getting started.
0: Yes. Um, I think that he's catching for – he's playing 80% of the games now, which has given him a whole lot more um, – Consistency at the plate. Um, consistent I
1: think, bats are key.
0: Yeah, and I think that helps him out a ton. Um, when he was splitting probably 60-40 with Roberto, um, neither one of them were doing very well at the plate because neither one of them were getting very consistent at bats. Um, well, and
1: where Jan is, gets hurt a lot when he's not getting those consistent bats is Jan is not a patient hitter. Unlike Berto, who is a very patient hitter, Jan is, is uh, hes a guy who's not going to walk very yeah. often, and he's going to go down, and he's going to go down swinging most of the time. Yeah, he's
0: very aggressive, and um, pay, they've been paying off for him because of where he's, he's batting, and um I, I enjoyed today watching um the lower half of the the order. Kittness got two singles, which is nice to see. He got two singles, and he walked. Uh, Brantley, of course, hit the home run. Ramirez had two hits. Um Even when, like, a guy, Edwin, of course, hit the big two-run homer, but even when a guy like Lindor went 0-4 today, the rest of the guys seem to pick it up. And the Yankees got a pretty good – they have a pretty good bullpen. We were able to get to their bullpen and uh, able they, to blow, blow out the season, or the series split today.
1: They probably have the best bullpen in the American League right now. And you know what? That's dangerous for them. But, I mean, if they can get – it will be more dangerous for them if they can get a second rotation guy. And God, I hope they don't. But you know what? the Indians proved that they can get to the best of your pitching today. And we all, we, frankly, we always knew that they could. It's just a matter of when it was going to happen. And it's happening for us at the right time.
0: Yeah. We we, we, we were searching for a little consistency offensively and uh, Trevor and Trevor Bauer kept us in the game long enough until we found it. Edwin hit the big home run, you know, then Brantley hit the big home run and then, you know, Jose scored and, it was in the yeah. Naqu- Naquin score, I believe. And then, I mean, we were able to get, get it later in innings. But we have the starting pitching right now to be able to keep us in the, in the game uh, long enough for our offense to catch up and do something. Because, you know, you go through that – any team, you go through that lineup the second, third, fourth time, we're going to get to your pitchers.
1: Oh, and without you know. a doubt. Because yeah. we – with the exception of Jan and maybe Tyler Naquin, most of our hitters are very patient hitters who will work the count and they will make you pay when, when you leave a pitch in the wrong spot.
0: Oh, for sure. And then and then no, we also – that's a credit to our starting pitching because we're never out of the game as long as our starter's rolling. And, you know, Trevor got it rolling today. Um, we've been rolling all weekend, really, pitching-wise. Um, you know, Kluber was rolling on Thursday, kept us in the game. We just couldn't pull that one out. Uh, yesterday you know. we were in the game, couldn't pull that one out. But um, – yeah, you know, our starting pitch is keeping the same so our offense can then catch up and get us some runs and get us the win. Oh, definitely. And you know what? I
1: think we're going to see even better production from Kluber because, you know, it came out that he's not going to be at the All-Star game because he got that injection in his knee. Yeah. So it, could expl- it could explain why, you know, that I've noticed Kluber has been good, but he hasn't been the Corey Kluber that we're all used to. You could tell there was something off. And when that came out, I was like, Okay, you know, I see why he's been off a little bit, but even though he's been off a little bit, he's so good, he's still been able to keep us in games. But I have a feeling we're going to see a second half a lot like last year that could potentially propel him to his third Cy Young Award. But, you know, Trevor Bauer could have something to say about that with the way he's been pitching. Indians just got to get him some wins. They yeah. need to freak, They need to start hitting behind him.
0: He's got six losses, and all six losses they haven't scored over two runs. So we get him some support, he could definitely be – he'll, he'll be up around a 20-game winner. He's got a great ERA. I think Trevor Bauer is going to be able – he's going to be in the conversation. We've got two guys in the conversation for – possibly for MVP and two guys possibly for Cy Young also. Um, uh, and I, I,
1: I think we could have a guy in it for Rookie of the Year with Shane Bieber.
0: Yeah. I mean, did you see what he did against the Yankees? Yeah. Oh yeah. He's, he's a, uh, I mean, he's cruising. He, he's sometimes forgotten soul because of all the great pitching you have, but I mean, he's five and one, he's cruising along and beat the Yankees on Friday. And, he uh, beat that vaunted Yankees lineup. Yeah. They scored runs on him, but that kid
1: kept his composure, kept us in the game and let his offense bring us back. That kid is special. Yeah, I, I, I
0: have I all... think. that we, go ahead. The whole series, I think all four pitchers went seven innings. Kluver, Bieber, Clevenger last night, and then uh, Bauer today.
1: And you know what, what was amazing about last night is we could have won last night too.
0: Yeah, yes.
1: It's just, I mean, I, I honest to God, I mean, I like the way they did it, but you, you could kind of make a case that announcing it when they did kind of um, could have thrown Jan off, you know, how they put that up right before his his at bat in the ninth inning when he's coming up with a runner and a scoring position. I mean, you could make a case that probably wasn't the smartest thing to do. I mean, I get it. You're excited. You wanted to announce it, but I mean, maybe wait till after the game. Maybe when he delivers a big hit. I mean, right then, you kind of just took his focus off of the off of the pitcher right there, and I think that probably could have been partially responsible for him just ending the game right there. Where yeah, it could it could have ended very differently for the tribe.
0: I agree, and it, it probably was a probably was a, a bit of a distraction for him. And um, but hey, we came back and got the series split, so um, that's good for the tribe. And also, I'm reading here. Um, guess who's set for his rehab appearance Tuesday in Columbus? The big lefty Andrew Miller. He'll be a shot in the arm for that bullpen if he can get back to sixteen, seventeen. Andrew Miller will be a Cog in that uh rotate in the bullpen.
1: Oh, you know I'm just itching for Miller time. I don't even like Miller light, but I'm itching for Miller time. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's right. He's going to be. I bet they can't wait. Cody Allen can't wait for him to get back and some of these starters. I mean, they, they, if we continue to get seven innings out of our starters today, um, or today this year, I mean, Andrew Miller in the eighth, Cody Allen in the ninth, it could, be, it could be something very special come October. And I'll I mean. Say- if-
1: even if we don't get seven out of our guys, I mean, if we can get Ollie and Neil splitting the seventh, those two have been a godsend for us.
0: Yes. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I also like uh, they put Adam Plucco back there in the, in the bullpen, gave us another guy um, with a, you know, he's had some experience starting games, but I, he can give us an inning or two here and there um, in the bullpen to get us to Miller and Allen. I mean, that's, he's a that's a huge huge deal too.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. And he's he's one of those guys too that um if we needed it, if our starting pitcher was having a bad day, he could give us some long relief too. So we wouldn't have to heavily tax our bullpen like yeah. we have in a few starts this season.
0: Oh yeah, he could give us he could come in and give us three, four, five innings, maybe if we you know, no telling what could happen. You know, a guy has a rough first inning or, you know, he comes out and he falls the wrong way off a mountain and we need a guy in the middle of August to come in and give us five innings to get to our bullpen to you know to win a game but yeah I like Adam Pluco back there and I also I also really like what Tito did today with bringing Carrasco in for one inning um you know who knows if we're going to need that again down the road down the road but um it's nice to see that he's thinking out of the box and it, basically it got Carrasco another win today so <laughs> good for him yeah. Definitely.
1: And you know what? That's why I love Tito because he is that manager who will continue to think outside of the box. He is the type of manager that, you know, you put something in front of him and he says, Oh, let me try this. Or, Oh, let me put this guy here because he just wants to get the win. And that's the type of manager I want to have managing my Cleveland Indians because he's got it. Eventually it will pay off. I feel like eventually we, we can win a world series championship with, tito francona
0: oh for sure for sure um the guy's the guy's one of the he's in my opinion the best manager in in baseball and everybody will tell you he's one of the best and he's one of the top two or three in baseball so i mean the guy i mean i can't wait till october to see this the guy would feel like we're going to play the yankees again in october in a series whether it be in the alcs or the ds or the um or whatever it happens to be but it's going to be the yankees that yankee squad's a good squad. Those guys they bring up in the first part of their lineup, man, every time they swing the bat, you think it's going to land in uh, Lake Erie. So it'll be an interesting series come the playoffs. But, I mean, Ballard struck out Judge three times in a row. Judge had a single, and then we struck him out three times in a row. So our pitchers are not backing down from anyone.
1: I will tell you this, and everybody should know this, good pitching beats good hitting any
0: day of the week, no matter what. 100 percent 100 percent and that's why i think this try it's indians team even though we're kind of you know we're lagging a little bit behind everybody else like we have 52 wins and like the red sox have 68 and the yankees have 62 but it's because you know- our, we, we have to get our offense rolling a little bit more especially on the road but i'd say our pitching is our pitching has kept us or is going to win us the division
1: Yeah, oh, definitely. Uh, I got to say, though, I like it better this way with the Tribe. We play better when we're underdogs than when we are favorites. I mean, nobody expected us in 2016 to advance all the way to the World Series and take the Cubs to seven games with half of our rotation gone. Actually, two-thirds of our rotation injured. All we had was Kluber. Bauer and Josh Tomlin and Bauer was had his had the controversial where he cut his finger and you Mm -hmm. know Tomlin was Josh Tomlin yeah and you know I mean honest the guy with the way he's pitched this year I think it's just time for him to go but that's neither here nor there I like where the Indians are at because we we we're in a position where we have to fight and you know what let the Yankees and the Red Sox fight it out for their division because it's funny because whichever one of them wins the division, the other one's going to win the wild, win the other wild card spot and then they're going to win – that, that team will win the wild card game probably and then they'll have to face each other again. So it's probably not likely if we stay below either one of them that we won't see either one of them until the ALCS, which honestly I'd rather face them in the e- ALCS because then everybody's been betting on them, and that's when the Indians can strike is when everybody's betting against them.
0: Yeah, uh, right now I'm looking at standings. Um, right now the division leaders, Red Sox have a four-and-a-half game lead over the Yankees. The Tribe has their seven-and-a-half game lead over the Twins, who are surging they were eight and two in the last ten. Um, that young team's finally playing well. Uh, the Astros are five games over the Mariners. And for the wild card, it looks like the Mariners – and the Yankees, and then the Athletics are 55 wins, the Rays are 49. So it looks like the right now the uh, it's going to be the Mariners, the Yankees for the wild card, Red Sox, Indians, and Astros are going to win their divisions with the the Athletics, and maybe the Devil Rays with an outside shot of getting in there. But um, yeah. So look, I mean, AL playoffs are going to be something. You got defending World Series champion Houston Astros. You got the Indians with their pitching, and then you got the two heavy hitters with the Red Sox and the Yankees, um, trying to slug it away. So it'll be, uh, it'll definitely be interesting to we'll come playoff time with the the contrasting styles.
1: Oh, definitely. Uh, don't discount the Seattle Mariners. I didn't realize they were up there when I was speaking about the wild card game because they were they were um, they were killing the Red Sox earlier this year. Don't discount the Mariners if they make the wild card game. They could easily be in it just as much as any other team could.
0: Oh yeah, I tell you what—that wild card game—that's that's that's one of the best things baseball has done in a long, long time. Um, that's very—I mean, one game, exciting. Just you know, one game to get there, and and then who knows? It, anything can happen in one game. You know, it's all hands on—it's all hands on deck. And I mean, one game is one game. say it's, like, it's almost like the Super Bowl. You know, it's one game. We you got to win it to get to the next round. You know, the next round is
1: seven games, but, you know, that it's, one game, that's very exciting. I agree. I mean, it's, it's 100% one of the best things baseball has done because you know what it's done is it's created more competition. More teams are buying at the trade lo- deadline than they are selling. More teams are just trying to get that one chance because all it does take in that game is one win to get you to the next round. And yeah. I mean, that that's all you need in the playoffs is a chance because right. this, this is baseball. The favorites don't always win. Wildcard no. teams go all the way to the World Series and win it all. I mean, that, that happens in baseball.
0: Oh, yeah. It's it's about momentum. And, you know, you get that extra game and you throw your guy and he you gets hot and wins. And then you, you have the momentum going forward. and You never never know who can win it. So, you get a couple of pitchers hot and it can be, you know, the wildcard team, you know, World Series or, or whatever. But, yeah, that's you're right, it's one of the better ones because people aren't tanking per se or selling off all their guys and you know, they're all battling to try to win and you no, know, it's good. Gives us an extra two two teams in the uh in the playoffs and excites fan bases all over and you know, every game matters now, so it's you know, coming up in the second half, so it's it's you know, I'm with you hundred percent it's one of the best things baseball's ever done. I those yeah. two wild cards.
1: Agreed. Agreed. And
0: well, y- you know the
1: Indians benefited from that in Tito's Frank Tito Francona's first year, 2013.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it, it propels your, your organization because you're just looking to get better. And once you make that, once you get that taste, once your guys get that taste of playoff baseball and how different it is in October and your fan base gets that taste of playoff baseball. And, then, I mean, it's just – it just propels your franchise. Look what they've done since 13. I, I think I read – um, they have the best record since Tito took over in thirteen, like five hundred six and three forty two in the American in the American League. I believe I read that too, and you know what? It
1: doesn't surprise me because Tito is such a good manager. But you know what? These kids are hungry, and that's why I think we're a dangerous team in the second half and in the playoffs because I think we're that much more hungry than other teams. We know this is that last chance with the full group that we have right now. To get that title, and Cleveland is just itching for another title, and with LeBron leaving, and the Indians are the team to do it.
0: Oh, the Indians are definitely set to for the world for a World Series run and to win that World Series and get us a another parade come mid mid November. Um, so yeah, we're looking for an exciting second half to the season for the Tribe. Uh, starting pitching, um, Trevor Bauer's got eight wins, Carrasco's got eleven, Corey Kluber's got twelve. Led on offense by the top three, Lendor Ramirez and Michael Brantley, and throw Edwin in there too. But uh, yeah, don't
1: don't sleep on Edwin. He's quietly put up twenty plus home
0: runs again. I know it's it's amazing. He um I looked up at the scoreboard today and he's batting like two twenty five, but you'd never know it because he's got about like you said twenty plus home runs. He's got he's get close to seventy RBIs. So yeah, well, the guys, it, the guys putting up some numbers uh and driving the ball and driving runs in. Oh, and that average is gonna creep up in the
1: second half you watch because those home he's cranking out those home runs. All he needs is one hot month. And yes. he'll get he'll get it.
0: Oh yeah, he'll get that he'll get a hot month hopefully here in uh in late July, early August, and just keep cruising on into the playoffs. But we're yep. looking forward to some good things from the Indians and uh good things going forward and into the playoffs and we can't wait for October baseball. Without a doubt let's do this all right let's roll into some ohio state basketball um they had a big signing this week with a five-star point guard um tell us a little bit more about his game all right so dj
1: carton a five five-star point guard out of uh indiana i believe um this kid is 6-2 and he is a competitor. And every video I've seen, this kid can get to the rack, but he can dr- shoot it too, and he's ha- he plays hard on both sides of the ball. Um, he's able to control the offense. He's going to give Chris Holtman something that he's been looking for since he's come to Ohio State, and that is an elite ball handler. He's, he's exactly what Chris Holtman wants out of a guard, and
0: that's why he's the perfect addition to this team. Nice. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, basketball. Is, basketball is a great sport because you only need like this guy could be an entire program changer for guys. I mean, one five-star point guard. Um, he, he he could bring in. You know, these guys play with all the everybody around the country. So he could bring in another big recruit for them, or he could just bring him a Big Ten title and into the uh, big into the NCAA tournament. So one big time one big time signing can really set your program in basketball. You know, set it up for years to come.
1: This isn't the only big-time signing either. This is the second
0: top 30 player in the
1: 2019 class for Ohio State because they also signed uh, or c- got committed uh, four-star uh, top 30 prospect Alonzo Gaffney beforehand. And that's why I really like this pick because now you have a five-star DJ card you have an almost five-star in Alonzo Gaffney. You're in it for a lot of top guys. Plus, you already you've recruited well in your first year in the in the league. So you're looking at the roster in 2019 2020. This is a championship, a national championship roster. Luther Muhammad, Jaden Lee, Micah Potter, Andre and Caleb Wesson, um, Dwan Washington, uh, um, Kyle Young. I mean, the, these kids are no slouches. I mean, this team has. With the addition of DJ Carden, this is national championship implications, and you could be seeing a national championship in the very future of Ohio State basketball with this kid. He's that type of talent, and he's the type of talent, like you said, he's going to bring more big-time – I think more big-time prospects will follow, and if more big-time prospects follows, that's good for Ohio State because, you know, like I said, at least to national championships and it, le- it leads to more consistent recruiting with big time prospects. Winning resonates with recruits and Holtman has just done that in his very short time. Prospects see that and that's why they want to come and play for him.
0: Yeah. And then like this guy, even if he stays one year and goes, um, you know, if he gets drafted in the top 10 lottery pick, you know, recruits see that and they want to follow that because they, they all want to be uh they all wanna be lottery picks too, so that'll that'll attract more, more talent, more uh big time basketball players to to the Buckeyes.
1: Oh, and it's very likely this kid could be a one and done. I mean, they're trying to get rid of the one and done rule. Um, the NBA is actually, but you know, um it's very likely. But you know what? I I don't care because you know what? You know what that says to me? That says that Ohio State develops you into a NBA player. They they Get wins on the court, and then they put you in the pros.
0: Yeah, and, that re- and like you said, that resonates all over those uh, AAU camps with all the AAU players because they all play together at some some tournament or some on some team. So that's a big-time get for uh, Chris Holtman and the Buckeye program, uh, bringing back winning to uh, Buckeye. Buckeye basketball program has struggled uh, the last few years since um, the end of the Mata era. And they came back a little bit last year. But uh, the end of the Mata era was a little bit rough for them. Well, And, and you know what happened
1: is Thad Mata, he just, I don't know what happened. What well, happened was is Thad Mata lost some of his flair. You know, he, he wasn't recruiting as hard. And, you know, kids were leaving the state to go other places. And once kids start leaving your state to go other places, like top prospects in the state were leaving to go other places. You know that that says something about you as a coach, and that I love that Motter to death. That man had a lot of early success, but his late his success or lack thereof, late success, eventually did lead to his demise at Ohio State. But I will always appreciate that for what he did for this program because he got the basketball program on the, back on the map, and it was a reason why he's a big reason why we were able to land a coach like. Chris Holtman so late in the process and it's a big reason why Holtman was able to turn the program around because despite the fact that Thad Mata wasn't recruiting at an elite level these guys were still well coached and he was still bringing in some some high quality players so Holtman just took what Thad Mata gave him and tur- um, turned them into the team that they should have been all along
0: yes I mean sometimes Mata had a good run at Ohio State and sometimes you know it's just time to move on um you know exactly sometimes you just wear out I don't know wear out you're welcome or whatever but yeah sometimes it's just time to move on and maybe a different voice a different face uh yeah, exactly because people difference. weren't
1: hearing him anymore
0: yeah and then I mean yeah and then sometimes they get uh comfortable you know when coaches get comfortable you see it all the time you know guys are successful for a long time and then they get comfortable and then uh Success doesn't come as readily as it does because younger, more hungry guys are on the recruiting, tra- recruiting trail out working here, guys. And, you know, it's ch- time for a new voice, new change. And uh, they got a good yeah. they got one. They got a good one that came from Butler. And, I mean, butlers I mean, you say Butler and everybody knows who they're talking about because that's one of the top mid-major programs. And they put their last coach in the, in the pros. NBA. So, yeah, and he's the yeah, best coach exactly. in the pros too. So, yeah. yeah, they got a good coach here now, you know. Obviously recruiting well and um hopefully they're gonna be back at the top of the big ten pretty soon and back in the big dance and making runs of the sweet sixteen and lead eight.
1: I tell you what, watch out for this team this year. You think we were good last year? Watch out for us this year because we have Holtman's got his death at guard and that's where we that's what hurt us last year. That's hurt us in, in against Gonzaga, that's what hurt us at the end of the year. That's why Jason Tate had to play some point guard. Sometimes we've got guys like Luther Muhammad coming in. We got Dewan Washington coming in. We got another year of Musa Jallo going to play with a year of experience. Um, we still got C.J. Jackson. We got a graduate transfer in uh, Keyshawn Woods from Wake Forest. I mean, and that guy—he's another—he's a veteran point guard who shoots forty-something percent from three, but he can—he's another guy who can handle the ball. And actually, he's somebody who could play on the court at the same time as C.J. Because C.J. Jackson, he's more of a scoring guard than he is of a, uh, as a as a point guard. He actually played better at times when he was off the ball last year. So, he'll give – Keyshawn will give C.J. a chance to play off the ball a little bit more and not have to shoulder the load as much coming into this season.
0: That's, and that's good. The more guys you can have playing, the better <laughs> off you are. You know, college basketball is a long, long season. Starts in November, ends late March, early April. So I mean the more guys you can the more depth you can build, the more guys you got playing, uh help them through that tough Big Ten schedule. Yeah. Uh and
1: hey, so you know we're talking about DJ Carton. So did you know that Ohio State's twenty nineteen recruiting class surged up to number four overall now?
0: No, I did, I did not know that. Um that's that's pretty that's pretty awesome, especially in college basketball when you got the likes of uh Coach K recruiting down there at Duke and Calipari Kentucky, and you know the names Kansas, North Carolina, still resonate. So when you're in the top four in, um, in basketball, the, that's a it's a pretty pretty strong strong statement. The three,
1: the three teams we trail are USC, UCLA, and Kentucky.
0: Oh,
1: we're ahead of Duke of all people. Those are the three teams that we trail in recruiting right now. And 2019 recruiting, I have a feeling it's going to get better because you know what, we were focused on DJ Carton. He was our big get at point guard but I'll tell you what watch out for 2019 power forward EJ Liddell now we already got a power forward in this class and Alonzo Gaffney but EJ Liddell and Alonzo Gaffney had two different games Alonzo Gaffney he's more of a a guy who likes to play on the outside he can he can score on the inside without a doubt but he's definitely a guy who's got a sweet jumper EJ Liddell on the other hand is a guy who's gonna pound you inside and go get those boards
0: yeah, that, and, those are two two different guys, and you know, they can be on the court at the same time, and both top players, and would add a interchangeable lot. Intangible guys, a lot of a lot, of, add a lot to that that 2019 class. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And he's a top, he's a top 50 or top 60 prospect right now, according to 24/7 Sports. So imagine if. Ohio State ups the ante on him, and which I I have a feeling that's where they're that's where they're turning their attention to now that they've got the commitment of DJ Carton. And you know what? We weren't even the expected favorites of DJ Carton. Apparently, that team up north, if you're not an Ohio State fan, that team up north is known as uh, it rhymes with Michigan. It pains me to say it. I'm sorry. I just can't say it. I can't even type it in in my articles, Charlie. I can't say that <laughs> name.
0: Oh, uh, the, the David, old- the old Wolverine, Tom.
1: Yeah, they're TTU that team up north, or they're scum. That's all they are to me. Because honestly, I'd rather wipe their wipe wipe my butt with their uh, with their tears.
0: Oh, geez. Well, that's gonna. I mean, that's a that's a hated rival, and I mean, that's it's a great rivalry. Some a lot of these schools, you see, they have rival like their football team. But I mean, that Michigan or Michigan rivalry with Ohio State goes through it resonates through every single sport, even into the even into the spring sports, the Olympic sports some people don't really follow, but especially in football and basketball.
1: It's the greatest rivalry in college sports, if not in sports.
0: Yeah, they, they have a lot of uh a lot of dislike for each other. I mean it's it's funny going it's, it's back It's
1: pure hatred. I wouldn't even say dislike. It's pure hatred.
0: It's, uh, it's funny going back and looking, listening to some of the coaches, you know, like now they won't even use any Ohio State coaches on uh, um, Twitter. And if they have an M in their name, they, it gets X'd out. And, um, you yep. know, Brady Hoke used to call them Ohio. And uh, it's, it's funny to go the back and forth between all the coaches and the rivalry. Uh, Rivalries are fun.
1: Yeah. Oh, and you know what? When, when every week when we play them in November, that's, that's the week where where uh, the letter M is uh, outruled in the state of Ohio. So basically, ever there's an X through every M. That's where that comes from.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of I like it. I like it. I like it, it's, I like it a lot. too. There's a lot of um, robberies are fun. They're um, especially because it gives them, it gives uh, all the players and coaches and all the fan base really something to look forward to. That last week in November, at Saturday after Thanksgiving, is. Uh, big one pretty much Ohio and Michigan shut down and it was one game on TV and that's it that's it that's it
1: I tell you what football wise it hasn't been much of a rivalry this last since Urban Myers gotten there because all he's done is spank them
0: yes I mean it's been been rough um that will be the the that'll be one of the interesting things coming this year not to get into college football too much right now but um yeah I I don't know how they keep paying that guy nine million dollars a year, and he's uh one and five against Michigan State and Ohio State. And this year he's got Notre Dame to open up, uh, which will be a big game for them um, Saturday night, September first. Everybody will be watching. And then he's got also got Michigan State and Ohio State again. So if he goes one one and two or even zero oh and three against those three teams, I don't know how he stays. Oh,
1: with that, I mean Lloyd Carr. You remember Lloyd Carr for. Uh, tcun yeah one and four against ohio state his last four years and he was a he was a pretty decent coach i believe he got them to a won them a national title early on in his career
0: Mm Mm-hmm. yeah
1: and that one in four in the rivalry those last four years where trestle ate him alive that that cost him his job so if trust if harb trust me if harbaugh loses again this year which honest to God it's highly likely because O'Hara Erwin Meyer just recruits elite elite talent and just consistently turns out talent. Harbaugh loses this year, I don't you can't keep him around because you're paying a guy too much to what? Lose the biggest game of the year? No thank you.
0: Yeah, I mean they're they're I mean they're listening to their fan base. I mean they you know when Harbaugh came, Harbaugh was gonna be the uh He's going to be the, the next, savior. yep, the next time he's going to turn them around, they're going to win national title after national title. He's a quarterback whisperer. You heard it all. You heard it all from him. You know, he walked on water, whatever. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. He's 1-5. He's got a good chance to go 0-3 in his big games. Um, I mean, he could be, if he's sitting at 1-7 and after this year against Michigan State and Ohio State, I mean, Ohio State's one thing, getting beat by Urban and the uh, boys down in Columbus. But you're getting beat routinely by little little brother there. I mean, and it's sometimes it's not even close and they're just getting beat. Um yeah. It's just I mean, that's just can't, that just can I just can't happen.
1: He's losing his bowl games too. I mean, he was they were the only team that prevented the Big 10 from going undefeated in bowl season last year. Yeah. That loss to South Carolina and I got to say the Ohio State fan in me couldn't root for them. And I was it just gave me more reason to hate them when they did cost the Big Ten an undefeated record in the bulls
0: in the bowl season last year. Yeah, I mean he's been yeah, he had Andrew Luck when he was at Stanford and then they, all of a sudden they became the quarterback whisperer. But I mean they feel like they got their quarterback now with that Shea Patterson who got ruled eligible by the NCAA from Mississippi, but we'll we'll see. It um it's a long way to November into November, but um It'll be interesting to see what happens. I kind of, kind of hope they both come in with good records, just because it makes the game a lot more interesting. And uh, exactly, yep. But you know, we'll see what as happens, much, and we'll see. As what's much going. as I'd love
1: to see that team up north fall on their face, I'd rather them come in with a running record, so it could make us beating
0: beating the snot out
1: of them that much more tasty.
0: Yeah, I think the the last like. Good game that I can remember. Than the in the rivalry was um, was it two? It was no, it was later than that. It was when the Ohio State lost to Florida in the national championship game. They played at at in Columbus, and it was like forty two thirty nine. And they probably should have... two
1: thousand six Troy Smith when he won the Heisman.
0: Yeah, should they should have had a, re, a rematch in the for the national yeah. title? But um
1: they should have.
0: But, that, but that's that's you know
1: really Urban Meyer deserved that.
0: Yeah, and then um. That was probably the last really good game they played. I mean, it's been Iowa State's been spanking yeah. Michigan by. I, mean, I don't know.
1: Did you miss the double overtime a couple of years ago with the infamous Curtis Samuel touchdown?
0: Oh, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, that okay. There's one I forgot about that one. Um, yeah,
1: J- where they controversially said they J- spotted J- the ball, first yeah, down on fourth down.
0: Yeah, it was um, a,
1: it was a first down. We all know it was first down. That's Our right. Last year's game was good too. I mean, we had to come back. We were down fourteen. We were down fourteen points at the halftime, when we came back and beat them. I mean, we shattered their dreams right there. I mean, that was just an unbelievable victory. And part of that was Dwayne Haskins leading us back. And yeah, that's, that's why I fully believe this team is just primed and ready to do bigger things this year.
0: With uh, Haskins starting the quarterback, yep, they'll be. Uh... It'll be it'll be a long way to go until we get the football season about. What do we got? About two months now, and then uh, everything kicks off at the first day of uh, September.
1: Seven Saturdays from Ohio State football. Seven Saturdays. There
0: you go. Who who do the Bucks open up with this year? Are they are they at, at TCU?
1: No, they play T. They open up with um, I believe it's Oregon State. It's either Oregon State or Tulane.
0: I think oh. it's Oregon State. Yeah, then they go to Jerry World to play um, TCU. Uh, yeah, I, they, don't, they
1: play TCU on the 15th of September.
0: Yeah, they they open up with Oregon State. Then they, they got – they're at home against Oregon State, at home against Rutgers, and they go to Dallas to play TCU. Then they come back to play Tulane at home. And then they're into the meat of their – Big Ten schedule with Penn State going to Penn State, then to Indiana, Minnesota at Purdue, Nebraska at Michigan State, Maryland, and then the rival game the twenty fourth of November. So,
1: I tell you what, the Penn State game I'm looking forward to that game this year. After we uh, came back and beat them thirty nine to thirty eight last year, that that game was incredible. I watched that entire game. JT Barrett completing 16 straight passes, leading us to the comeback victory. That's going to put so that's putting already put so much on this year's game. Penn State wants to make this a rivalry, but let's just face it, it's not a rivalry because Ohio State mostly has mopped the floor with Penn State. So let's see what's going to happen this year. It's going to be real interesting to see what happens between those two this year.
0: Yeah, that's going to be a sneaky. That's going to be a tough game, you know. Opening, uh, well, not opening, but your second Big Ten game, but. Um, because they got Rutgers the second game of the year, but um, you know, at Penn State always a madhouse. It'll probably be a night game. Uh, Tracing Sorley's back for the third year as Penn State's quarterback. Um, that could be a, that could be a sneaky tough game there, and uh, Happy Valley for the Buckeyes going to Penn State. Um, they've got a couple. They, their schedule sets up pretty nice. But they got a couple. Um, uh, couple, you know, tests. They're gonna have some tests maybe from, you know, they're at Purdue. The twentieth, a very vastly improved Purdue team, and then they then they come back home with Nebraska, the third of November. Nebraska, I expect Nebraska to be fully in the Scott Frost realm of teams. They're going to be fully, uh, you know, they're going to have all their. They're going to be playing fast. They're going to be uh, putting the ball up, and I expect them to be putting up some points. expect Nebraska to be uh, be a factor out west early in Scott Frost's um, tenure out there. Um, and then they got Michigan. Then they're at Michigan State, which could be a sneaky tough game. Also, uh, being, that's on, being on being on the tough road
1: game every year. That's always a tough game.
0: Yeah, and they got their quarter. They got some guys back. Their quarterbacks back. They got a running back back. So that's gonna be a tough one. From guy's schedule's got got some pitfalls in it, but if they can maneuver it. They're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be in the playoff if they can maneuver but, and get through the Big Ten championship game.
1: Well, you know we don't play Citadel. Unlike Alabama, we don't we don't play cupcakes. We uh we play Power Five teams. I mean, if we do play a cupcake, it's a team like Oregon State from Power Five conference. We don't go to the bowels of the FCS like Alabama does to cheat our way into an undefeated record or a one loss record and get into the college football playoffs. Because let's just face it, with I without that Iowa loss last year, Ohio State would have been in the would have been in the playoffs, and Alabama would have been playing in a different bowl. And uh, They didn't deserve it. They won the national championship, but I still don't feel they deserved it. I mean, for God's sake. Again, they play cupcakes, and that's why I will always love Ohio State even more, not just because it's Ohio State. It's because we put up against the big boys. We will play in Oklahoma. We will go and play at TCU. We'll go and play at USC. We will go into their yards. We will go to a neutral site, and we will – we will shut them up, and we will prove that we are the best
0: damn team in the entire nation. Uh, they, have, yeah, they have a nice schedule. Um, I mean, I think what, what hurts Alabama's schedule when people talk about it is the fact that they do – they play that – the SEC routinely and traditionally plays a – instead of playing their cupcake team in the beginning of the year, they play it in the in the middle of November before rivalry week, so that always – Throws everything in the in the way, and people
1: like yeah.
0: people like there. to
1: throw in that the SEC is this is this tough conference. Let me tell you, SEC is a tough conference, but it's they're garbage at, outside of Alabama. Like no team, they're tough because they're they have good defenses, but quarterback play is horrible in the SEC. There's no actual. Skill players a lot of times in the sec there's a lot of speed that comes out of there but they play in warm weather i mean the big Ten's the toughest conference to win
0: they got a they got a lot of players in the sec um and that's why a lot of that's and that's the one good thing that urban's done since he's been at Ohio state is he's been able to go down into sec country and get some of those players out um you know, Georgia is the most fertile ground. Georgia and Louisiana are probably the most fertile grounds for Division One players, and Urban's been able to go down into those states and get guys out and bring them up to Columbus, which has made a huge difference in uh, Ohio State and generally the Big Ten, because if you look at the Big Ten, Penn State's resurgence came because they went and got James Franklin, who was an SEC coach. Um, yeah. You know, they got those guys, and they're able to go down and get guys from the south, from the SEC country, and be able to bring them up to the north, and that's been pretty much a resurgence for the Big Ten and their ability to compete with those teams down there.
1: Yeah, and you know what? I may have been overstepping my bounds by saying the SEC doesn't put out skill players because they do put out skill players, but... I, honestly, I think that's just my hatred of the SEC coming through and the constant bias that people show that conference. I drink, I drink the haterade a little bit when it comes to that.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you are a Big Ten fan, and it's like that's. I mean, it's it's definitely down to. I mean, there's it definitely it's two conferences and the rest of than everybody else as far as conference supremacy goes. It's the SEC, Big Ten, and everybody else as far as that goes because. I mean, the SEC did earn it in the, in the uh, mid mid to – I mean, I don't know how to say it, but the mid to teens, two thousands, when they won seven straight national titles. They um, did. But, I mean, now – but everybody – but it feels like the Big Ten with their – when they got Urban, when they got James Franklin, when they got – um, well, when, Coach, when the hardball came into Michigan, when uh, – now Scott Frost is Nebraska. I feel like the Big Ten is going to catch up because you got – Guys who are going out of the Midwest and going into the South, going out to the West, going into Texas, being able to pull guys out of there and be able to compete with these guys on the major stage. Oh, yeah. And you were talking about an
1: up-and-coming Purdue. I mean, Jeff Brom from Western Kentucky. That's not an SEC team, but he put up high-powered offenses at um, Western Kentucky, and he did the same thing in his first year at Purdue. So, I mean, on, I don't I don't know if we could see a – a conference championship game with Purdue in it, but I'm I'm just telling you, don't sleep on them.
0: No, and as always, you don't sleep on Wisconsin out there either because they're going to do what they do with their, you know, their five all all American all Big Ten linemen they have out there, and they're going to stick a running back behind him who's going to turn out 1500. I feel like I could go back behind that offensive line and turn out 1500 yards. But oh, without a doubt, They yeah, you they know, turn out.
1: They turn out first-round offensive linemen like it's candy.
0: Yeah, for sure. And they're just going to do what they do. And, you know, the West is going to be a little more – I think it's going to be a little more competitive with Wisconsin, with Purdue, up-and-coming Purdue, with Scott Frost in Nebraska, with, you know, Kirk Ferentz out of Iowa is always consistent. He's he's going to be right there competing. So, you If he could ever bit,
1: recruit better, he could probably win more champion, more – getting more championship games, speaking of Kirk Ferentz.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, he's uh, – He's pretty – he's been consistent out there. He's usually about 8-4 and four every year. But, uh, yeah, he's out there competing, and I think the Big Ten West is going to be – Big Ten West is going to be able to – is going to have a race on its hands, and I think the uh, – as long as – as well as the Big Ten East will have a little bit of a race on its hands.
1: Exactly.
0: And you know what?
1: Paul Christ out there – just to comment on Paul Christ as a head coach, the head coach of Wisconsin. That dude's a hell of a coach you have to give him his props. I mean, he's come into Wisconsin and he's done nothing but win. And he's, he's just, it's excellent coaching like that. That makes me love big 10 football. There's so many excellent coaches in the big 10. And that's what you can't say about the sec that you can say in the big 10. There's excellent coaches up and down through the conference. I mean, there's Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, um, Honestly, Lovey Smith at Illinois, he's starting to recruit a little bit. I mean, we could see a turnaround with him. I mean, there's just so many good head coaches in the Big Ten and the SEC. It's just hot trash after Nick
0: Saban. That's the, that's that's bold, but anyway, um, <laughs> that's bold. But uh, um, so we got um, so not to, now that we've transitioned from Ohio State basketball to Ohio State football, we'll. Uh, uh, we're looking forward to um, not wishing the summer away, but definitely looking forward to some Buckeye football here come uh early September and all the way into November and possibly into January with the playoffs and the national championship game so uh we're and then also looking forward to that uh high state basketball resurgence with their recruiting classes and everything they got coming so we're gonna, now we're going to roll right into uh talking about a segment talking about games that we've been to, great games that you've been, that you've attended. What's your, what's your top, what's your Mount Rushmore, your top place, your game that you've been to? Uh I
1: don't know. You might want to save mine for last. Mine's a good one, Charlie.
0: Oh, okay. I'll give you mine. I got four of them. I'll give you my Mount Rushmore. one, My, my, my fourth one here would be the NBA Eastern Conference Finals. Two thousand nine. I think it was nine when LeBron hit the game winner against Orlando Magic. Oh um, my god, that's your fourth? That's my fourth, yeah. Um uh, that was a that was a great one. That was uh that was something else. That game was something else. That was I mean was They hit Orlando hit a shot and everybody was like deflated in the old building. The old building was deflated. I remember a...
1: watching that on TV. That game was incredible. Oh, yeah. Then, Even though Magic eventually beat us, that game was still incredible. That,
0: that game was unbelievable. I mean, just for that night, like, <laughs> LeBron catches the ball, lets it go, and it's like, I mean, it's it was, he let it go, and that thing was good the entire way, and the place just erupted. It was one of the best. That was one of the best endings, one of the best games, one of the best endings I've, I've been at. Um, another all great all one. All right. oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say,
1: I would say my number four was, it was actually my first Indians game. Um, It was 2000, and the reason why it's number four is because it was versus the St. Louis Cardinals, and Mark Mark McGuire was still playing for the Cardinals, so I got to witness Mark McGuire play against the Indians that year. And though the Indians weren't doing so hot in 2000, I I do believe, um, one of the things I remember most from that game is, Um, A Cardinals first baseman because I believe McGuire was DHing in that game scorched a foul ball and it hit this bald guy in the head (laughs) and right on the top of the head and I just remember the guy didn't leave the game he stayed in the game and you gotta say that's a real trooper right there I mean so just getting to see Mark McGuire play I mean how many people can say that
0: yeah McGuire McGuire was something else he hit some balls that I mean I remember when he hit the Budweiser sign at the the old uh, the Indian stadium so yeah, I got was yeah. I got was something else to see. Uh probably number three for me would be um I was at the I mean I I was at the last playoff win for the Cleveland Browns against the Buffalo Bills. Oh my god. Yeah. Um I was young. My dad took us. He sat us in and we got tickets. We were in the in the dog pound, an old municipal stadium in the dog pound it was wild. I mean, I was probably well, I don't know. I was young. I probably wasn't even a teenager. I was probably still like eleven or twelve, but yeah, it was it was wild in there. Uh, I don't no, I'll never forget it. Um, my I'll mom. Tell you
1: what, Charlie, your yeah. your first two right now, like three of them, I could put put up, and they couldn't live up to what you've been to what you've experienced
0: right now. no well, I mean, well, yeah, it's uh. Those were that was that was unbelievable. I mean, my so my mother. Here's a quick story on that game. My mother had a broken leg, and my my youngest brother was young. I mean, he was probably five years old. He went with us, and my he came home, and my mom goes, uh, "So, hey, Mike, how'd you like the game?" Michael looks at her and goes, "Bill, suck." And she looked at my dad, and he said, "That's probably the best thing he could have came home and said." So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was. Uh, that was. I'll never forget that game. It was fun.
1: All right, so that's your number three, huh?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right, my number my number three is uh, it's not so great. It's 2005, Cleveland Indians versus the Texas Rangers. Um, it's top. It's makes top four because it was a game the Indians won. Alfonso Soriano was one of the top Texas Rangers at the time. Um. I believe Roberto um, Alomar was still playing for the Indians. Maybe not. Maybe Ronnie Belliard. I know Ronnie Belliard was playing for the team, but I just remember Ronnie Belliard hitting a basis-clearing double in the game, and it ended up propelling us to the victory. Nice. Um, And it it was probably – I don't think Omar was – some there was some famous Indian in there that I remember seeing, it and I can't remember off the top of my head because it's been that long.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's, that's a good that's a good one. I it was doesn't like,
1: compare to your first two. Oh, I it mean It doesn't
0: compare. <laughs> um uh my second one was recently, it was twenty sixteen uh, Indians game against the Blue Jays when Jose Ramirez hit the home run to tie the game and I believe it was a ninth. I don't think it was extra like innings yet. And then Naquin hits the inside the park home run to win the game. Oh my God. That was one of the most exciting things because you're because well, I, actually we were sitting in the right field, not the not the lower deck, but the deck right above it. So he hits the ball and you saw it coming. You didn't know if it was a home run or not, but then you saw yeah. it bounce out into the outfield. Like the end of the grass, and you look up, and he's already around and sucking. So in your mind, you're like, he may score. And then he came around and scored, and that I mean, it was unbelievable. I
1: was wa- I was screaming at the TV when that play happened, and you were at that game. I'm so jealous right now.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. That was that was. Uh, yeah, we were at that game. We were right there, and yeah, Ramirez hit the home run to tie it, and then Naquin when Naquin hit that inside the Parker, I mean a legitimate inside the Parker too. Like it was. He was. I mean, if you somebody had a timer on him, I bet he was running about a three eight forty. Well, um, and when he when he
1: held up the the horns at the the at the at home plate after he scored, mm-hmm. that was like the photograph for the entire season right there. Like every time, like Nate oh, yeah. came up, it would just show that picture and like that. That image is a lasting image in that in that year because twenty sixteen, despite the end, was still a great year. No,
0: for sure. It's, I mean, that picture is still, I mean, today at the game, it was still one of the highlight the the reels they threw before the, uh, you know, before the game started when they were doing the end starting lineup was him scoring and at that on the inside of Parker. But yeah, that was, that was one of the best ones that, uh, one of the best endings to an Indians game that I've ever seen.
1: Well, and you say Tyler Naquin and his name is synonymous with that play. I mean, that's all, I honest to God, I think most Indians fans remember about him. I mean, hardcore Indians fans, no Tyler Naquin, but you say Tyler Naquin to just a regular, average, everyday Indians fan, and they're going to talk about the inside-the-park home run.
0: Yes, that was, that was yeah. unbelievable. All right.
1: So num- my number two is going to get a little bit better. I think my number one – you've had some pretty good ones so far, so I think my number one is going to top all of yours, but – my number two, 2014 Ohio State versus Navy in Baltimore, the year we won the Natty. Where nice. JT, Barrett, JT Barrett, Braxton Miller was hurt, got hurt, and JT Barrett was, for, was forced to start. He beat out Cardell Jones for the backup job, and he was forced to start. And JT, JT Barrett opened everyone's eyes in the world and showed everybody what he was. He ended up finishing fifth in the Heisman race that year. He didn't have a great first half, but in the second half, he absolutely devoured the Navy defense with his with his foot skills and his accuracy. I mean, say what you want, his accuracy did tail off towards the end of his career, but at that point, JT Barrett was the king of college football.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, the guy was a winner. The guy was – I mean, the only thing – I mean, part I feel bad about is when he broke his ankle at the end of the year and couldn't finish out the year because – that guy, that, one guy, there's a couple guys in football that deserve to be on, you know, to be the, held up as a national championship guy, quarterback, and he's one of them. That guy is nothing but class guy, leader, um, great, college, uh, great college football player. Um, I mean, just he, I felt so bad for him when he broke his ankle against uh, in the rivalry game, and I mean, just. I,
1: I was heartbroken. I was heartbroken. Yeah. I love Cardell Jones, but I was heartbroken for that kid.
0: I almost cried
1: for J.T. Barrett, and I don't cry for football players, but I almost cried for him.
0: Yeah, he's a he was a good one, and um, he'll be along. He'll go down in highest State lore as one of the one of the all time greats to play ever play the quarterback position there.
1: Well, and you know what? People give J.T. Barrett all this grief. You know why he stayed so long? Because all he wanted to do was win a national championship. And it's just too bad that he didn't get an opportunity to do that last year because he got slided. They got slighted by the committee because of that Iowa loss. It's just too bad because there's nobody that deserves it more than JT Barrett.
0: Yeah, he's a good one. All right. My number one, it, it wasn't, it doesn't involve an, an Ohio team, but it took place in Ohio. Probably the most, the greatest, one of the greatest sporting events I've ever been to was the Kentucky-Notre Dame Great Eight game at the Q to go to the Final Four. Kentucky had Carl Anthony Towns, the Harrison Twins, uh, Devin Devin Booker. Um, I mean, it was unbelievable. I'll tell you what, that Kentucky team came out and you realize that they're all 19 years old, but you're like, holy, I mean, you're like in your mind, you're like, "How did these guys compete against high school kids last exactly. year?" You know what I mean? Carl Anthony Towns probably dunked the ball in some guy's head, and the guy had to leave the game. Like, I mean, that seriously. team
1: didn't even win the national
0: championship that year, I believe. No, did they? No, they they got beat by Wisconsin the next week, and then Duke ended up winning the national championship.
1: That's right. That's right. That's the but, year that Big uh, Frank the Tank for Wisconsin got them to the national title.
0: Yeah. Um, But no, that's one of the best uh, games I've been to. Um, Notre Dame came down there hitting threes, hitting some shots. Kentucky was hitting shots. Um, Notre
1: Dame was hot in that tournament, if I remember correctly, too.
0: Yeah, they were hitting some threes. Uh, They had a couple of Jaron Grant. I think he's still in the league. Pat Connington, I believe he's still in the league somewhere, too. Bouncing up and down between the D-League, G-League, whatever they call it now, and the uh, regular team. With
1: Portland, so, the last I remember.
0: Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, they were hitting some threes and came down, and Kentucky ended up winning by two. Uh, I think Kyle Perry finally in the second half woke up and was like, hey, if we keep throwing it to Carl Anthony Towns, they can't stop him, so let's keep throwing it to him. And they did, and they ended up winning. But uh, that was one of the best experiences the region uh Grade 8 game, and... Or Elite Eight game they call it, and uh, it's unbelievable right here at the Q. I mean, that, I mean, to the To get you know.
1: an, to get that experience at a high, high level college basketball, I mean, I mean, it really doesn't matter whether it was an Ohio team or not. Kentucky's close enough to Ohio. I mean, shoot, right they're over right the river. Up, they're right over the river from Cincinnati, so you might as well call them an Ohio team, although <laughs> they are. Um. I don't root for them like they're an Ohio team because, obviously, you know, I'm an Ohio State fan. But, anyways, that's neither here nor there. That's a great number one game, but I think I got one better. And I think it tops every single game you've listed, even though they've, there's been some great ones. So, I'll give you the year. The year is 2001. It's the Cleveland Indians. It's Seattle Mariners right. at Cleveland Indians. The greatest single game comeback. In MLB history, Cleveland was down 12-1, to Ichiro's rookie season. I can't even remember who started that game, but I had bleacher seats in that game. We, My brother, my dad, and my uncle, we got these seats from a family member, and we went to the game. So this is 2001, and... The Mariners are kicking the crap out of us. We're we're losing twelve to one, and the stadium. So many people left. We didn't. Le- you know who stayed? We did. That's right. Oh, we diehards. Did. Yep, we stayed through thick and thin. And you know what happened? Sixth inning. Omar Vizquel clears the bases with a bases clearing triple that kicked off the comeback. I remember going crazy. Do you remember reliever John Rocker? Oh yeah. Yes. He was yeah. he he wasn't even that great, but I remember going crazy when he was coming into the game because we just had this absolute insane comeback going on. We watched every second of it. And then bottom of the ninth, Holbert Cabrera's up to bat, brother of Orlando Cabrera at that. Not been not many people know that. Kenny Lofton, my favorite Indian of all time, is on third base. And I don't even remember who was pitching because I was so young then. I didn't even, you know, I wasn't a hardcore Indians fan then. So I didn't hardcore follow the roster then, but I was like hardcore. I love the Indians. So Holbert Carrera's up the bat and he hits the ball, breaks his bat, and it's a walk-off single. And I just remember Kenny Lofton jumping at the group of Indians who mauled him at the plate. And we won that game 13-12. to 12. And every time somebody brings that up, I'm like, I was at that game. I was at easily. That bat is in the Hall of Fame, if you didn't know that, by the way.
0: Nice. It should be. It should be. That's, yeah. that's, that's a great game to be at. I was, In fact, funny coincidence, when I was walking in today, we were walking in the gate in the outfield uh, past the Tommy statue and the Bob Feller statue and all that. I looked down. We were waiting in line and that was one of the plaques, the great moments in progressive field history was to come back against the Mariners um that day in two thousand one. So yeah, that that was I remember watching that game on TV and it's like holy smokes, I can't believe that what they're what what's about to happen.
1: And to be at that game and to be one of the few one of one of some of the few fans still left in that stadium, it was still we were still going bonkers. I mean, the stadium was still pretty loud, even though it was pretty empty. The stadium was still pretty loud that night once that comeback started to happen, because honestly, I, people probably started to come back in once they realized what the Indians were doing that night.
0: Oh, yeah, I can't even imagine. I mean, that takes that's that shows a real diehard, diehard fan um, to come in and I mean to stay Um for a game like that, because they were down at what was it, 12-0, 12-1, 12-2, and 12 0, 12 like 1, 12 2, 1, 15 to 1, Carter or
1: something. They absolutely destroying us.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, and to stay, um, that's that's pretty hardcore. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good um, uh, memory to have. And it's a great, um, you know, you'll be one of the one only a few people who can say, I stayed, you know, for that great comeback. And, that's that's a great thing to have on your your resume, and as a fan, and that you you'd never lost hope for the old for the old tribe.
1: And I tell you what, I think that's where I truly found my love for the Indians was after that game, because I just remember after that game how much I followed them and how heartbreaking it was when we lost to the Mariners in the AL Division Round that year, because we did have a good team that year. It's just we ran into a 119 win Giant in the 2001 Mariners.
0: Yeah, that was a rough, that's rough. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a great, that's a great way to start off your fandom with that, with that, uh, comeback and one of the greatest, greatest comebacks of all time. <laughs> and like Mark, like I said, Mark
1: McGuire and the greatest comeback of all time. That's a pretty good first two Indians games. Wouldn't you say
0: that is, I mean, that would probably make, that would make me a, uh, a fan for life of the tribe to see those, those are your early memories of the tribe. Um, well, I think that about wraps it up here for the Ohio Sports Blog Podcast Week 2. Um, a lot of good things going on. The Indians heading into the All-Star break and into the second half of the season. Uh, Buckeyes basketball and football seem to be raring to go. And uh, we'll be back with you next week as we uh, look at probably recap the All-Star game and the first series for the Indians and uh, look and see if uh, Buckeyes football or basketball is signed to anybody else. Coming up there seem to only sign four and five stars down in Columbus anymore. So, and we may have another, uh, another segment where we tell you a little bit about our fandom also. So till next week, we'll see you.
1: Have a good night. All
0: right.